0: I'm smiling at Sam. I just dropped my microphone. Are we okay? Okay. Sorry. Love to, love to hear those noises as our kiddos head off to their age-appropriate programming. Love a noisy church. God's doing a good thing around here. Can we just pray one more time and ask God for His help as we approach the Scriptures? Let's do that together. Father, with our, with our Bibles open and our hearts open... We pray that by the power of your matchless spirit, you would speak now. These words are true, we know, Lord, and they are eternal. Now we ask for the grace to hear them, for the, for the grace to believe them, for the courage to walk them out in our lives, Lord. Guard us now from error as we apply yourselves, ourselves to the scripture and guide us in the truth. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, when Lindsay and I were first married, we volunteered together in the church nursery in a suburb north and west of Atlanta called North Metro Church. It was a a good time as we were kind of getting our sea legs in marriage and seeking to serve the Lord together, and I kid you not, one of the babies that we cared for there in that church uh, nursery was actually named, not Zebulun, Although I was a teacher for a number of years, and I've taught two Zebuluns, believe it or not, but one of those children in that little nursery that we rocked and played with was named Thunder. <laughs> not a nickname. His given birth certificate name was Thunder. And whatever picture you may have in your mind about the kind of kid who would fit that name, you can just completely erase it, because Thunder was the tiniest, most frail, petite little child you ever did lay your eyes on. I mean, he was cute, don't get me wrong, I had nothing wrong with with Thunder, but he just didn't really strike you as, you know,
1: Thunder.
0: (laughs) So what's my point? My point is that sometimes the name that something goes by doesn't always or fully reflect what it truly is. With that, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. Today we'll be looking at what is popularly called the parable of the prodigal son, and it's easy to see why we would call it that, because there certainly is a a prodigal son featured prominently in this text today. And yet, the careful reader of Scripture will quickly see that the prodigal son is clearly not the only prominent character in this passage. In fact, some theologians have even argued that a better name for this parable would be something like the parable of the compassionate father. Or, since Jesus was clearly directing this parable straight at the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious teachers of His day, others think that a better name might be something like the parable of the elder brother. I got a kick out of this one. One commentator has even proposed a very accurate, albeit cumbersome, name the parable of the compassionate father and his two lost sons rolls right off the tongue, right? The point, of course, friends, is not what we call the parable, is whether we hear it, it's whether we internalize it and obey its truths about the kingdom of God that Jesus is holding out to us in these words, so let's take a moment before we read and just make sure that we're clear on context. We'll set the table, as it were, because knowing the why of this parable, understanding the parable's purpose is critical if we're going to get all that it's worth or get, get all that's in it and and have us apply it to our lives today in 2024. We find the why of the parable of the prodigal son, or whatever you choose to call it, at the very beginning of the chapter. So look with me, if you will, with your Bibles open, Luke chapter 15, at verses 1 and 2. Before we begin, let's just prime the pump and make sure we're understanding why Jesus gave this parable in the first place. Luke 15, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the purpose. That's the impetus for Jesus' parable. So so Jesus told this parable of the prodigal son in response to their grumbling about Jesus' interaction with um, unsavory types. You know, those over-the-top Sinners. Jesus actually proceeds to tell three back-to-back parables here in Luke uh, Luke 15, or if you prefer, one threefold parable. They're all about these parables, the same big idea, the same kingdom principle. They're about something lost. A lost sheep, lost coin, a lost son here before us today. And each of these parables contain this crescendo of celebration, this explosion of joy when the lost get found. There's a sheep party. You can read about it in verses 5 to 7. There's a coin party. You can read about that in verses 9 and 10. We, We worked through those last week, and today we're about to read about the lost son getting found party. This is, this parable that Jesus tells us, His longest and perhaps His most widely recognized parable in all of Scripture. So Let's pick it up together now with that context in place with verse 11. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, and we'll see what Jesus has to say about this lost son, or should we say lost sons? Luke 15, 11. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. "...on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead, and he is alive again." He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant." And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost." And is found. All right. Let's consider each of the major characters that Jesus puts before us here in the parable. We'll start with the younger son, this wayward prodigal. He comes to his father in verse 12 and says, Dad, give me my share of the property, the share that's coming to me. What's he doing? Well, he's asking for his share of the inheritance. Question, when would that typically take effect? Him receiving his share of the inheritance. Yeah, he would get that when his father died. So, consider, church, for just a moment, the brazen audacity of this kid who effectively comes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Rather have your stuff than have you here. And yet, somehow, shockingly, the father complies. Most biblical commentators believe that he would have had, in order to do this, he would have had to sell one-third of his entire net worth. Think of it. Land, livestock, assets. At, At this time, in this culture, the older brother typically received a double portion of the inheritance. So... So this shamed, broken-hearted, reviled father liquidates a third of everything he owns and proceeds to give it to this ingrate of a son. Of course, it's no surprise if you've read the parable what this prodigal does with it. Look with me at verse 13. He, He hightails it out of town. He squanders it on what Scripture calls reckless living that's a polite way to put it and then reckless living which his older brother gives us sort of a peek into the the kind of reckless living in which he was engaged later in the parable down in verse 30 we learn that at, at least part of it was involved in wasting it on prostitutes and it was fun are we allowed to say that in church And that's why he did it, right? It was fun for a time. The allure of sin can be intoxicating to us in our flesh. That's why it draws us so. Scripture describes sin as the sin which so easily entangles. He was living it up. But sooner or later, there is always a reckoning. For our sin. Scripture tells us the the wages of it, the wages of our sin is death. And thankfully for this prodigal, his reckoning came sooner rather than later. His reckoning came when there was still time to repent. Although his wake-up call, I think you'll agree, came as it often does, dressed up in the form of pain. Tragedy strikes, twofold tragedy, first, uh, tragedy, excuse me. first, his money runs out and then famine, severe famine sweeps through the land and this young prodigal is left utterly destitute. In his desperation, he is forced to do something that is completely detestable to him. Look at verse 15 we see this younger son resigned to feeding pigs. Not only are pigs dirty animals, if you've raised them. I I grew up with pigs on the farm. Pigs were also a ceremonially unclean animal that would have been seen as repugnant to the Jews. Translation, this is about as low as it gets for a Hebrew boy. Caring for the swine... That is abhorrent to him. And it's bad, isn't it? How bad is it? It is so bad that this younger son is envious of whom? Yeah, he is longing for his life, for his lot to be like the pigs. I don't know about you, but I'd call this rock bottom, right? And yet, sometimes, friends, sometimes a good dose of misery is just what we need to snap us back to attention. Leon Morris puts it this way, hardship has a wonderful way of bringing people to face facts. True or false? Yeah, true in my life. Think about it. What caused this prodigal's turnaround? What caused his about face? Was he, you know, cozying up on the, in the pigsty one night and kind of staring at the ceiling, looking up at the stars and starting to rehearse to himself what had transpired in his life? And did he, did he start to say, oh, what have I done? I love my father. I repent now before the Lord in dust and ashes. Do we see this? No. What's he saying? Well, he's effectively saying, Ouch! That's what he's saying. He's saying, This hurts. He's saying, I am miserable. Even my father's servants have it better. Didn't he say that? In verse 17? friends? sometimes it is the lord's kindness to make us miserable now we can relate to this some of us in this room can't we some of us know very well that it wasn't the good times that brought us to the lord it was rock bottom maybe in a different way dressed up in a different form show of hands how many of you did the lord use a hard circumstance to draw him to yourself Praise the Lord. He doesn't always have to save that way. But for some of us with these thick skulls, this is the kindest thing that a gracious heavenly father can do. He can lead us to the end of our rope where all we've got left is him. And this is not just a hypothetical story about a hypothetical son 2,000 years ago now, is it? We understand that this is the way life often works. And I think we can learn as we begin just to think about how, how can we apply this parable to our lives. And one thing that we can learn from it is that the circumstances that cause you to turn back to the Father, who's clearly the, represented uh, represents God in this parable, right? The circumstances that turn you back to God the Father don't matter. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. What matters is that you come back. What matters is that you genuinely, truly come to Him. Some of us come for less than pure motives. Some of us perhaps have come like this prodigal simply because we were desperate. And yet, a perfect Heavenly Father does not spurn those who come to Him even this way. Just just come. I had the privilege for uh, several years earlier in, in life and ministry of uh, ministering right up the street from the Washington City Mission. And I was friends with and uh, and just got to know many folks who were wrestling through addiction in the throes of of their addiction and recovery. I'm looking at Donna and Bill who both worked at the city mission before. Many of us here have friends and loved ones, perhaps even ourselves. We've we've walked down that road. And one of the things that I found so heart-wrenching and yet also encouraging was that I could be looking at people, sitting with people whose lives were on fire and not in a good way, who were literally like this prodigal at the end of their rope. And you know what I didn't have to convince them of? That they were broken. And that they were in need. And that the trajectory of their life and their eternity was out of control and headed toward judgment. They knew. And by God's grace... As the, as the kindness of the Father began to draw them, as the, the work of the Son, Jesus, who, who died on the cross for their sins, even those sins, even those prodigal sins and rose from the dead began to seep into their souls, we could see with joy the prodigal's return. Not always, but by God's providence, some who have ran the farthest away from Him in the other direction. He reels back in and woos with His love. He who has been forgiven much loves much in the Lord. The heavenly Father will not spurn you for coming. Isn't that what uh, the truth of Romans 5.8 says? One of the one of the glorious passages, gospel passage in Scripture, which tells us about the chronology of our salvation, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. Well, that ought to make us kind of lean in. How, how, do, how does God do that? How does God demonstrate His own love for us? Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, read also, while we were No longer to be called your son. Christ died for us. The gospel, friends, is not that you have to clean yourself up so that you could come to God, but rather that you come to the Father, and by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and and His Holy Spirit, He saves you and sanctifies you. It's the Father who saves through the person of His Son and the power of His Spirit. So, if you're here this morning and you, like this prodigal, are feeling unworthy, the simple message of Scripture to you today is come. Come. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Isn't that how the old hymn writer invites us to sing? And give Him the glory, great things He has done. Come, and since we're sitting in church, we should also say for those of us who maybe can't relate quite as well to the prodigal son or for whom those years are long behind us, we dare not, we dare not spurn those who are returning to the father though they smell like a pigsty though they don't look the part we dare not put a stumbling block in the way of anyone seeking to come to the father isn't that church why jesus is telling this parable in the first place were you paying attention Verse 1, verse 2. Jesus told this parable to a bunch of religious folks who did not have a framework for God saving the lost. The sinners, the tax collectors are coming to Jesus and they're sitting there with crossed arms saying, oh. No. Reminds me of a time that I was... uh, having a conversation with a guy who was looking for a new church in the area. I was uh, leading another church at the time, and, uh, and, and I was trying to convince this guy that he needed to try our church. He was sort of in between fellowship, and, and I said, man, you got to get back to church. Ch- check ours out. And, uh, and so one day, he did. One day, he hopped in his car. He loaded his family up. Nice car. Beautiful family. And they drove to the location of the church where it was meeting on that Sunday morning just up the street again from from the city mission. And as they rolled up in front of the building, they observed a group of former addicts smoking cigarettes, playing hacky sack before the service started. And I never saw him that day. So I reached out to him later and said, hey man, what happened? Why didn't you come? You said you were going to come. And you know what his explanation was? He said to me, "Well, oh, you know, I was I did. I, I came and we and we went there and, and I, you know, man, I just didn't I didn't want my little girls to have to walk through the cigarette smoke on their way to church." Okay. Keep driving. Keep driving. Because Jesus doesn't have that attitude, does He? Jesus invites not those who are clean, but those who are in need of a physician to come to Him. We dare not spurn the prodigals who are trying to come back to the Father. So, it doesn't matter the circumstances by which you are called or where you find yourself, no matter how dark, when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and stirs your spirit to come back to the Father, what eventually, or what initially rather, began as purely self-preservation, I'm not going to make it here, even my Father's servants have it better than me, eventually does, friends, turn into true repentance. Because you can fake repentance, can't you? But I want you to see here, this repentance is genuine. Look look with me at verse 18. Father, he says, I have, what's that word? I have sinned. Not just against you. I have sinned against heaven and against you, Jesus says. He repeats the same thing. The prodigal repeats it in verse 21. Again, Scripture tells us, bar none, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, a kind of repentance that's more than just, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm sorry it's as bad as it is. Repentance is an about-face, it's a turn of direction, and we see here an acknowledgement of sin and a turning around and a coming back to the Father. This is genuine repentance. And I love that he's rehearsing his speech in advance. Does any of you do that? I do that. Verses 18 and 19, he says, all right, I'm, he's, I'm sure he's scared. Right? I'm sure his knees are knocking as he's walking home. I'm, this is what I'm going to tell him. Verses 18 and 19. And, and then we encounter, in verse 20, the father. What's he do? Let's, let's read it together. Luke 15, verse 20. But while he, the prodigal, was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion. So what's he do? He Three things. He ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Just think about those verbs. Ran, embraced, kissed. This is absolutely astounding. And Jesus gives us a window into the father's love here. Does he not? Think for a moment about the father's love. First, he, he spots his son when or where? When he was still a long way off. Which implies that he's looking for him, right? He's scanning the horizon, waiting for his son to come home. And what was his response when he does? Verse 20 tells us that he felt compassion. That's how the ESV renders that Greek word, he felt compassion. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, just I don't know that that does it for me. That Greek verb, though, can also be translated more literally to be deeply moved. He felt compassion. He was deeply moved in his bowels. That's what the word means. Deeply moved in his gut. And then the father does something that nobody is expecting. He... Runs now. Again, this may be foreign to us in our modern-day context, but um, but here in this first-century ancient Near East context, as Jesus is telling this parable, I'm sure there was a collective gasp as they heard about the father running out to meet this prodigal son. You gotta understand, friends. This did not happen. It was considered undignified for, for a Middle Eastern man, especially of his age and stature and wealth, to be running anywhere. Now when he gets there, the father does not grill his son with a spade of questions. What's he do? He embraces him. Literally, he, he falls upon his neck. That's what the word means, to embrace and to, and to kiss him. And the son, as planned, starts in. He's, he's following up on the conversation he's been rehearsing all the way home. What's the father say to the son's explanation, to the son's proposal? Father, I repent. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I am no longer worthy even to be your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. What's the father say to him? Nothing. He cuts him off, and and he he says, instead of talking to the son, he yells over his shoulder to his servants, get the robe, right? The best robe. Get the ring, he says, my signet ring, which would have carried the, the authority of the family and the father. Get the sandals, All these things, friends, are family status symbols in this day. What's he doing? He is restoring the son fully to his status. He says, kill the fatted calf. Yeah, I know. The one we've been saving. Kill that one. And the son does not have a category for this kind of forgiveness. Honestly. I'm not sure any of us do. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. There's a theological term for this. A Bible word is called grace. Grace is simply favor without merit. It's, it's, you, it's you receiving something good. This is grace. It's you receiving something good that you did not merit, that you did not earn. And this, friends, this is amazing grace, amazing grace the Father extends to this prodigal son. Now, Let's ask ourselves a question as we're working our way through the text here. Was there anything at all that the Son did to deserve this kind of reception from the Father? (laughs) Of course not. What did He deserve? Well, you saw what He did. He deserved anger, He deserved punishment, He deserved vengeance, He deserved wrath. That's what He deserved. And yet, he received restoration. He's restored to sonship, and his this grace, his forgiveness, his renewed status before the Father has got nothing to do—not a drop to do—with his own goodness or with his deservedness. That's the gospel. This is purely, this amazing grace is purely flowing out of the goodness and the heart of the Father. It's His nature. That's why forgiveness happens. That's how salvation happens. It's the Father's nature to forgive and to lavish the prodigals with grace. Do you see His kindness? Friends, grace is what Christianity is made out of. We, uh, we use this verse often, and we should. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace. Favor that you did not earn. It's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That's the stuff of salvation. And it's not by coincidence that Jesus uses this very interesting and I hope familiar language as he's describing the son's return, this prodigal's return. He repeats it twice. Look at verse 24. We've got a slide here, I think, on verse 24. And he says it again at the very end of verse 32. This is salvation language, isn't it? How does he describe the prodigal who returned home? Well, well, he says, "...for this my son was dead." Was he dead? That's God's assessment. Dead. And now he's alive again. He's gone from death to life. Sound familiar? He was lost and is found. So, happy ending, right? Well, not so fast. Sometimes I think we get to these crescendo moments, these pinnacles uh, in, the, in the Bible narratives, and we have the tendency just to slap our Bible shut and say, yes, thank you, God, for saving the prodigal. Hold up. Jesus is not done with his parable. As a matter of fact, there's about a third more to go. He hadn't even hit his punchline yet. Let's keep reading because not everyone's happy, are they? In the middle of this celebration, in enters the elder brother, stage right, and this guy's got no grid for grace. What's his response? Look at verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Angry. Angry. Don't miss this. The older brother hears the good news. This is amazing news. Your brother was dead and now he's alive. He's lost. He's not. He hears the good news. Your brother's back. But he receives it as what? Bad news, right? This is classic legalism. His response is not, wow. Forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, grace. That's not his response at all. His response is, he doesn't deserve that. I deserve that. Right? You didn't even, you didn't even give me a goat. You killed a fatted calf for him. I deserve this. Father. That's what he's saying. He is rejecting the good news. And get this, he refused to go in. Go into what? Well, he refused to enter into the joy of his Father. Question, just pause for a moment and think about our lives today. Simple application, simple way for us to digest this parable and begin applying it to our lives what is your response friend to someone else's forgiveness most of us would say yeah i i wanted him to be saved but maybe not this soon (laughs) maybe i wanted him to do a little bit more penance first before he came for all that he did to me what's your response when someone who doesn't deserve it, comes back to the Father? Or perhaps it's not even just salvation, just, just ratchet it down a couple notches. What's your response to someone else who receives a blessing, who receives a promotion, who gets a gift from God? Are you bitter when you see that man, that woman, that, that friend or that enemy receiving enjoying walking in that gift that they didn't deserve or is your response like the elder brother what about me I deserve that I had a clear picture of this not too too long ago there was a birthday party at the Thomas house they happen fairly regularly this was not the one this week okay and One of our children was unwrapping a gift, and this was a a special gift. We knew that they would love it, and, and, and as the gift was unwrapped, I mean, just shredded wrapping paper everywhere, one of the child's siblings, one of our other children, I'm trying to keep this anonymous, began to sob. Why? Because this was a really good gift. And that other child would have loved to receive this gift. And rather than feeling joy that their brother or sister received this good gift, their response was tears. I want that. I deserve that. And in that moment... I could see myself in the tears of that child. Can you? Because perhaps in more socially appropriate ways, we are guilty of spiritually sulking when we see other people walking in gifts that they do not deserve, things that we would love to have, and we're nursing bitterness. Because there is a gracious heavenly father who gives good gifts to his children. Not all the same gifts, are they? That's why it's grace. We don't deserve the gift. Legalism says, it's about me. (laughs) It's about what I can do, what I can receive based upon my performance, based upon my status, and this is critical. Before you start wagging your spiritual finger at the older brother, please don't miss this last part of the story. Don't neglect to see the father's kindness and grace, not just to the prodigal son, but to the elder brother too. Look at verse 28. He's angry. And what's the father do? The father's in celebrating. The father leaves his feast, leaves the happiest moment of his life probably up to that point. His son was dead, and now he's alive. He's lost and found. He leaves the celebration, and he goes out to this recalcitrant, self-righteous brother. And he pleads with him. He's not scolding him, is he? What's wrong with you? Your brother's back speaks kindly to him, my son, all that I have is yours. He appeals to him to see the good news, and do you see what's happening here? Remember who Jesus is telling this parable to. This is the punchline. Jesus is telling the whole parable the prodigal son to the Pharisees and the scribes. Why? Because they're grumbling, because they're angry when prodigals are coming back to God. Prodigals who have sold out. Prodigals who have not earned God's forgiveness and grace. And Jesus tells this parable. It's like he holds up a mirror. In front of the Pharisees, in front of the scribes, and say, See, this is what you're acting like. You're acting like this older brother. This is what you look like. And, and notice this jarring thing in verse 29. This is hmm. what's what's the older brother say to his father? He says, verse 29 Look, these many years I have served you. If you're somebody who takes notes in the Bible, maybe you want to star that word served or underline that word. Served you. Not even a goat. That's what I get for my thanks. That word served here is actually a word at this time that was commonly used to describe slave labor. So what's he saying? The older brother's saying, I've been slaving for you dad. He doesn't regard him as a father. He he sees him as a taskmaster. I've been slaving for you, dad. Really? Is that all your obedience is? Is that what you think, older brother? Your relationship with the father is made of? If so, then you have totally missed the love of the father. It's like Galatians 4 tells us, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And because of the work of this Son, you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, this is the story. This is Jesus' parable. Not one, but both sons, both sons are using the father for what they can get out of him. They're both using the father as a means to an end. Do you see it? The younger brother, to be sure, does it in a way that's far more overt and glaring. But they're both lost. The sin of the prodigal was lawlessness. It was license. And the sin of the elder brother is legalism. It's a smug self-righteousness. That has no standing before a holy and perfect God. And both of these paths, as different as they are, lead to the same location. They both lead to death. The vehicle's different, but the destination is the same. It's separation from the Father. It's hell. Now, how about us? By the way, we don't don't hear the end of the story. Jesus doesn't tell us how the Older brother responds, almost like one of those (laughs) choose-your-own-ending books. You remember those? There are some elder brothers there listening to him who would go on to kill him. And there would be some Pharisees who, by the grace and kindness of the Father, would receive this grace whose eyes would be open to the kindness of the Father. You know, Pharisees like Nicodemus. Pharisees like the Apostle Paul, who would later come. The gospel is for both. But they got to come back. they got to come to the Father. These two different paths, license and legalism, leading away from the Father. Maybe you today, if you were to place yourself on the spectrum between the prodigal brother and the elder brother where would you pin yourself maybe you're here today and you're saying man I uh, I don't relish this but I I'm the prodigal my disposition my inclination is to spend God's resources on myself to, to run and to shake off the rules and to do what I want. I did it my way, Frank Sinatra style. You're saying I'm the prodigal. That's who I identify with. And there's some of us here in church who would more readily identify as the elder brother. That's me. I'm the oldest of nine children, type A, work hard. Grit your teeth till you break a blood vessel and just try harder and try harder and try harder. Joy's gone. And it's really just about you anyway. Legalism and license. There's some of us here, talk about twisted. I'll raise my hand for this one too. There's some of us here who, as we've been following the Lord, begin to see that we're guilty of both. Both. I'm the older brother who, the closer I walk to Jesus, begins to see more clearly all of the ways in which I have fallen short of the glory of God, in which I have stubbornly insisted on walking my own way, in which I'm praying for the thousandth time for the Lord to forgive me of the same stuff, I'm beginning to see, like most of us, I think, would recognize that We're not all prodigal, we're not all Pharisee, we're probably a mix of both. So what's the answer? I love uh, this Paul Washer quote, I'll just flash this at you before we, uh, we find the solution. Washer writes, I have given Christ countless reasons not to love me. None of them has changed his mind. He's so kind. He's so patient. He's so gracious that he would kiss the prodigal and kill the fattened calf and that he would plead with the Pharisee to come. There's no sin, no matter how it's dressed up in rags or robes, that Christ will not cover if you come to Him in faith. And that's the whole point of the parable, isn't it? regardless of where you would put yourself on the spectrum of younger brother to older brother, the point of the parable is that there's another son. And he's the one telling the story. The only perfect son of the Father. The one who would clothe us with his robes of righteousness. The one who would become the sacrifice for the sins of the prodigal and the Pharisee alike. The one who was walking to Jerusalem to climb on a Roman cross as he shared this story. The one who after his resurrection said to those trembling women, I am ascending. T- go tell my brothers. Brothers coincidence my brothers that i am ascending to my father he's my father i am the only begotten son of the father go go tell him i'm ascending to my father and now your father to my god and your god this is the gospel it's that jesus could take fishermen and zealots and tax collectors like Matthew, and Pharisees like Saul. And he could say, come to the Father through me, through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. I'd like us to close. We've got just enough time to sing one more with this song that we like to sing often around here. It's a newer one called His Mercy is More. As Ruthann comes forward, before we pray, I just want to point you to this stanza that we're about to sing. Verse 2, what patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. Isn't this the prodigal son? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor, whether they're dressed in rags of the prodigal or the robes of the Pharisee, our sins They are many. His mercy in Christ is more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus and for this glorious parable that invites the broken, the downtrodden, the one covered with filth and slime, the the prodigal son, and the stuffy Pharisee alike to grace. Lord, give us those, those eyes that can see Christ and hate our sin in whatever form it comes. Grow us up into this gospel, Lord. Help us to celebrate those who receive good things from You, salvation from You, and, and all that follows. Rather than digging in our heels... In passing judgment, Father, help us to be purveyors of the gospel of Jesus. We thank you that in Christ, your mercy is greater than all our sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.